The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about how to have a divorce that's meaningful and how to have a divorce without destroying your family. And we know in our country, we have one out of two marriages ending in divorce. And I found this book and found out about this wonderful attorney in Los Angeles, Laura A. Wasser, who wrote this book. It's brand new. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. And, you know, as a longtime attorney mediator doing divorce, I was my ears perked up when I heard about this book. I had to get it, and I thought Laura would be perfect, and wait till you hear her background. She is just incredible. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a high-profile attorney based in Los Angeles, California, and she specializes in celebrity divorces. In fact, she's representing, she has represented the likes of Kim Kardashian, Maria Shriver, Heidi Klum, Ashton Kutcher, Ryan Reynolds, Christina Aguilar, Shaquille O'Neal, and many more. And she's a partner at the family law firm of Wasser, Cooperman, and Carter. And, of course, she's a member of the State Bar of California, and she's the author of this wonderful new book. And it's really a modern-day guide for a new generation of men and women going through a divorce because we're, we're hoping that it's going to be a more enlightened way, uh, way of going through a divorce. Now, Laura was named one of Hollywood Reporter's 100 Powerful Lawyers from 2011 to 2013. She's one of the California Daily Journal Top 100 Lawyers in 2012 and one of the Southern California Top 50 Women Attorneys in 2012 and 2013. And she was also named one of Los Angeles Magazine's Top 50 Women Lawyers in 2012 and one of the Century City Chamber of Commerce Women of Achievement. Not only does she, you know, have a, a vibrant practice, but she also has got a good heart. She represents pro bono, that's clients for free, through the Harriet Buahai Center for Family Law, where she served as the center's board vice president and was given the Zephyr M. Ramsey Award in 2008. So she does a lot of advocacy for people even pro bono. And she's been profiled in California Style Magazine, Interview Magazine, as, as well as Los Angeles Times, Vanity Fair, Forbes, The Huffington Post, and W Magazine. 
You can learn more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com where we have a beautiful picture, her bio, you can link to her URL, but we also have um, that URL, which is www.wccfamilylaw.com, and then you can choose uh, looking at Laura. So we're excited to have you on, Laura. I just can't wait to meet you in person. Mm -hmm. I got a great kick out of reading your book. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all of those accolades. Yeah. So, okay, so what? you've been practicing about 20 years, so what inspired you to write this book? Uh, After practicing family law for about 20 years, I felt the time had come to put a message out there to parties that are going through a divorce or a breakup um, because I thought there was a need. I feel like this generation can do things better than our parents did, And I have met so many people who say to me, if only I knew then what I know now about having gone through that process, I would have done it differently. So I figured if there's a way to kind of impart that message, even to one or two people, that is helping and giving back in a way that can really, really reduce the pain and expense that dissolution can cause. Yes. And I know you've been through a divorce and I've been through a divorce and we know we've been there. We've seen what it's like and and how it can be a very difficult problem. And you also talk about that you are a child of divorce. So so is that why you became a lawyer? Um, It's part of it. My father has practiced family law for almost his entire career. And when my parents split up, they did it the way that we talk about in the book and the way our firm does it, which is really being respectful of your spouse, making your children a priority, um, trying to get on the same page and not leaving everything to attorneys, but really being the master of your own destiny going into this process and keeping in mind that even if you're not living under the same roof any longer, you are still a family, approaching your children as a united front, uh, figuring out ways to co-parent that keeps things uh, on a very level playing field between your house and your ex's house when the children are with him or her. That's how I watch my parents do it. That's how we practice at our firm. And I feel like if there's more people that went into the process, knowing some of the things that are in the book and knowing what we tell our clients, they would be better off. Absolutely would be better off. What There's times when people are going through a divorce and they're so angry that they forget about their kids. You know, they're, it's more important that they be right than they be happy. Yes. So, you know, I mean, I, I get some of those people even in mediation, and I have to hopefully enlighten them. They, they start out in mediation to save money and, and save their privacy, but in essence, they're still very angry and want to hurt each other. What do you do with people like that that come to you? I really try to make sure, I mean, those feelings, those emotions, the anger, the, the anxiety, the sadness, those are things that come with this process, and I don't want to detract from that, but they don't belong as a part of the litigation or the negotiation. I always say to people, do you have some kind of a good support system? Are you in counseling? Are you in therapy? Do you have a group that you can meet with once a week? Do you have a best friend? There are so many different um, outlets available to people nowadays, whether it's at your church or your local high school or junior college, where there are groups where there are people at all different price ranges that you can be with and that you can vent and you can air your grievances. But making that part of the business transaction, which is what this dissolution is, is unwise. It is a waste of time, it is a waste of money, and it is a waste of energy because your lawyer is not qualified and we are too expensive 
to be your therapist. And, and by the same token, that level of emotion has no place in a conference room if you're in, in a mediation session or in a courtroom. Judicial officers don't have the time or... Um, the patience. Exactly. <laughs> we, we don't, our court system right now is so clogged up as it is. They want to hear the basics. They want to hear the numbers. They want to hear what it is that are your concerns and the best custody schedule. No one can resolve your case better than you can because no one cares as much as you do. Right, right. Now, I know you talk about that, that you've been divorced as well, and I've been divorced. So how has that changed for you, how you handle clients who are going through a divorce? Well, I was very young when I got divorced, and I had only been married for a short period of time. So for better or for worse, we didn't have anything to divide, and we didn't have children. So it was very simple. But having gone through that process and then also having two children with two different individuals to whom I was not married but to whom I was very committed and in very loving relationships, I do know that it is possible to split up and to co-parent and to share expenses and to do it in a way that your kids are going to be okay. And I feel like those personal experiences bring something to the table when I am dealing with clients. When I say, I know that first night when your kids aren't in their bedrooms down the hall is going to be so difficult for you. But on the second night, it'll be a little easier, and maybe you take a bubble bath and you listen to some music, and maybe on the third night, you go on a date. And as time goes on, it does get easier. And one thing to bear in mind is your children are with the only other person in the entire world that loves them and cares about them as much as you do. They're other parents, and yes. that, that's better than any babysitter, and no matter what the differences are in the two households, because not everybody can be on the same page when it comes to parenting or discipline, the fact that they are with their other parent, even if that's not someone who you choose to be married to anymore, is very important for your kids. Yes. And, you know, you, you may be divorcing each other, but neither of you are divorcing those children. Correct. And that is so important because the kids feel so terrible when, when parents are going through a divorce, even if it is amicable. That's right? true. There it, is a level hard. of anxiety and change and, and unknowing and is this my fault and if I had been right. better and drank all my milk, you really, right. really have to pose a united front with your children and say, this isn't about you. We are still a family. We are still your parents and we still love you so much and you are going to be the most important thing in our lives as we go on onto this next step and it's going to be okay. Exactly. So, you know, I think people are, some people who'd be listening to this who are on the university campus are going to get it, but there's other people driving by that just really don't get how the American culture has changed. We have same-sex marriage now. We have uh, all sorts of different kinds of parenting and families. So can you talk to that a little bit about how our family culture has changed since our parents' divorces or our parents' time? Yes. One of the other reasons I wrote the book is because, indeed, the American family looks so much different than it did a generation ago. As you said, we've got same-sex marriages, same-sex couples. We have couples that choose to live together and have children but not get married. Uh, we have step-families and step-children and grandparents. There is a much more of an it-takes-a-village mentality, I think, these days in terms of the family life that we see. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's because the law is the last thing to change, as we've seen from just the very, very recent change uh, in same-sex marriages, right. we need to come up with a better way of dealing with what happens when these families split up, because they do. 
And so while it's wonderful that we've had this evolution in terms of American family, what comes with that is an understanding and a way of processing information and breakups so that those families can remain healthy and financially sound even when there is a revision in how they are living. Right. And, you know, for me as a mediator, we can do so much more. And you can when you're outside the court, when you're negotiating with attorneys on the other side or you're collaborating. You can do so much more to meet the needs of those families that even a court can do. Because they, sometimes they're, they're, their hands are tied or they have to follow the law. And then when you're trying to decide parenting um, in, in the, you know, in the courtroom, the judge doesn't even like to do that. <laughs> of course. Well, they don't have the time or the inclination. And I, I mean, again... I think it's really, really important that people know that they can think outside of the box and to be able to come up with new solutions, whether it's mediation, collaborative law, representing yourself and figuring out the best way to do that. We have families now that are separated or or divorced, but they are still living under the same roof, or perhaps the kids stay in the family residence and the parents move out for custodial time. That's called nesting. There are so many outside-of-the-box ways to approach it that are better than the very, very rote uh, prescriptions that a court would give you simply because they don't have the time and they don't know what the issues are in your case. Yep, exactly. So what do you find when we're talking about the, you know, the culture and how it's changing? What do you find surprises people the most about the current culture? I think one thing that I'm always interested uh, that people are surprised about is that when there is a female breadwinner in the family, she will still end up paying spousal and or child support. Right. Um, I think often people think it's just the man that pays it, and then they, a, a woman will come in to me and say, well, I've been the breadwinner, and this, and I say, well, it's, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Exactly. And the eyebrows raise, well, you're kidding me. There's no way. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's a big surprise. I also think, particularly in Southern California, people are very often surprised that um, courts really approach custody from a joint custody 50-50 perspective, and then work backwards from there. I think a lot yes. of people come in just assuming that mom will have the kids, right. and that is absolutely not the case, particularly in Southern California where we have lots of stay-home dads, lots of people in the entertainment industry that work from home. There's no reason why a dad can't be as hands-on of a parent as a mom, and so to think if you're going to get divorced that mom's going to live in the house with the kids and get a check from dad every month is a very, very old-school, antiquated way of thinking. Especially with, you know, now most women are working outside of the home. So if mom's working and dad's working, you can't say, well, mom's more available. Because that isn't the case. So exactly. exactly. We want to be as fair. I mean, with... With the emergence of women and equality, we want to have equality for men and women and and joint parenting. And obviously, it's best for the kids to be, uh, as they say, continuous and frequent contact with both parents and and loving. You know, I uh, also do a lot of privacy work. And as a privacy expert, um, one of the things that we try and do in mediation is we keep things out of court. So we have, for example, my office, I have a public settlement agreement and a private settlement agreement and i know that when you're dealing with high profile people they don't want they try to do everything they can to be private so what are some of the things that you do to help your clients to protect their privacy 
One thing that I will do is take a case out of the system and do it with mediation, either with a mediator or a retired judicial officer, do things in a conference room as opposed to in a courtroom. It can be very effective. There can be a lot more privacy. Um, As soon as something gets filed with a court, it becomes public record. So that's from the first dissolution petition to any kind of declarations, financial information, anything else. If you can kind of take it out of the system and do it by virtue of settlement or collaborative law, it does make it a lot more private and it gives people a lot more room to express themselves in a way that they don't have to worry is going to get picked up by the media. Exactly. And so that's that's such an important issue, I think, nowadays, especially with you know, people being able to get access to, you know, when we have the uh, electronic filing and all those different things, it's it's really something that if you are going to have independent counsel um, in mediation or you're going to have, you're going to go to a mediator who's going to help you or you're going to have separate counsel, do everything you can to keep it private because I have seen people file tax returns. <laughs> yes. It's Terrible. crazy. Or, or, or all sorts of financial statements, even though we're not supposed to put the SSN in mm-hmm. there, the social security number, or we're not supposed to put in, you know, account numbers. People come to me after they've already filed and all that stuff was already filed. It drives me nuts. Yes. And saying terrible things about their spouse or yes. about to be ex-spouse in paperwork that at some point could be read by one of their children because it could be published somewhere some, I mean, it's public records. Somebody could get a hold of it. Maybe you don't think you're interesting enough to the public, but at some point you could become interesting to somebody that wanted to go see that stuff. And if you've got children, that's something that I don't think that they should be privy to, what you're saying about the other person. Exactly. It's so hurtful. And also, you don't want your finances out there. If you're trying to run a business and you have something in there that you're, you know, you're trying to protect, that could hurt your business, your reputation. And, you know, I mean, it's just something that you absolutely want to keep out of there. And for your clients who are really high-profile people, they have a reputation to keep as well. Right. And so it's so important. Now, um, so do you prepare private settlement agreements and public settlement agreements as well, like I do? Absolutely. We do both. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Can you tell us one of the hardest experiences or most difficult times in your career? For me, my hardest cases are custody cases, and um, the hardest kind of custody cases are move-away cases, because you mm-hmm. can't just come up with something creative where both children or, or where children are moving back and forth between both parents if one parent is living, for example, in New York State and the other is living in California. So it is really, really difficult. There is no halfway point. It is mm-hmm. going to be hard. And these are the cases that are very hard to settle, because if one parent, for whatever reason, needs to live elsewhere, and the other parent's still in California, that means that you're not going to be experiencing the frequent and continuous contact, and that is where it gets really difficult. Right. And then, you know, then it becomes very hard because the kids have all their friends. They don't want to move. They love that parent. They don't, you know, I always tell people, if, if there's any way possible, stay within a mile or two of each other, if you possibly can. It makes it easier on the parents. I have one couple right now that one lives, you know, in Ventura, and the other one lives in South Orange County. And that just meeting in that traffic is enough to drive them crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> but they do it, you know, and, and it, I just keep encouraging them to one or the other to move closer so that they can do this for their child because they both love that child. And right. the child loves both of them. So it's, it's rough. Now, I know that you've done some great work doing pro bono, which for those of you who are listening, that means she, she does it for free. 
um, with the Harriet, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this right, Buhai Center? Buhai. It's the Harriet Buhai Center, uh-huh, yeah. For family law. Mm-hmm. So why don't you compare for us, how, how's your pro bono work compared to your celebrity work? I mean, I'll tell you something really interesting that I've learned. It, you can, I mean, divorce is the great equalizer. You can, you can add or subtract some zeros from the community estate and from the income. You will still end up with the same fear, anxiety, uh, anger, sadness when you are looking into people's faces. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about who's going to be my date for the Oscars or who's going to be going to back-to-school night with me and the kids. It is still the same emotions that people experience, and that is something that I find absolutely across the board. So, um, you know, when, when, when you're dealing with, with these issues, it doesn't matter how much money people have. Yes, and I think another thing that people get surprised about when it comes to spousal support, so some people say, well, how is it that she's getting $10,000 or 20000 or 50000 a month in spousal support? That's crazy. But why don't you explain why that's not really crazy? Well, it has to do, as, as you know, with whatever the party's marital lifestyle was. So right. if they were living a marital lifestyle where their mortgage payment was quite high and they traveled quite extensively, and, and it's all relative. And so, again, if it's depending on what the parties are earning and what their marital lifestyle was, because California dictates that a, a supported spouse is to live in the lifestyle to which he or she became accustomed during the marriage, that's what is supposed to continue happening. Yes. And if you're not married and you have a child together, even that, that you know, the, because you're not a wife, you wouldn't get spousal support, but your child support could be 20000 a month. Right. And child support is the right of the child, and child, children in California are supposed to live a lifestyle commensurate with their wealthiest parents. So that means you don't have one child, one parent that's living in, you know, the lap of luxury in Beverly Hills, and then the other is living, you know, in a a one-bedroom apartment. Now, again, it doesn't mean that they have to be exactly the same, but the child should be able to be driving in a safe car that has insurance on it um, when they are with their supported parent. Right, And, and you also want them to be able to have a bedroom to sleep in. So if they're used to living in a mansion in one house... They shouldn't have to live in a, you know, in a one-bedroom apartment where they have to sleep with their mom or dad. That's another thing. So they're entitled to live at that. So people don't understand sometimes, like, why should I pay my ex-spouse this money when we weren't even married? So that people don't understand that, that this is all about the best interest of the child as well. Correct. So what is the first question you ask people who say that they're considering getting a divorce? I say, why do you feel like you're going... To be going through a divorce. Have you tried counseling? Are you sure? Is this something that you want information about, or is this something that is imminent? That's the first thing, because I don't want to waste their time or mine if this is not something that they've thought through. I think the second question, if, they, if their answer is, yes, I'm absolutely positive, I've met with some other attorneys, and we've tried, and we've already separated by the time you know, they come to me, is what are your goals? What's important to you? You know, what, is it important that you keep your house? Obviously, everybody wants what's in their children's best interest, but what does that look like? If you're a parent that spends a lot of time touring, maybe you're not the right parent to have primary custody. So we need to talk about what the situation is and what their goals are. Those are probably the first two. Yeah. Now, what are, your, what are some tips for, for choosing a divorce forum, whether it be litigation or mediation or collaboration? What are some tips that you have about choosing a forum and then choosing an attorney? I think um, 
you should choose, I think maybe you should do it the opposite way. See what you think of the attorneys that you might meet with and who you kind of relate to best and then take their advice on what kind of a forum to use. Um, if you really are trying to do it in a cost-effective way, I would look for attorneys who have very high settlement rates, who are respected in their community, who like mediation, um, and then I would kind of take it from there. I always would try to do some kind of mediation first. Now, if that means that neither party has their own attorney, but they're working with a mediator versus both parties have attorneys and meet with the mediator and the, and the clients, um, that's just going to be a matter of personal choice and also the expense will factor in. Yes. And so sometimes, for example, I would mediate with the attorneys present, and sometimes I just have independent mm-hmm. counsel review. And so on... For those of you who are listening, even if you do go through mediation with an attorney mediator and sometimes even a non-attorney mediator, your mediator is going to have to tell you that you have the right to have independent counsel review. And so that's really important because your mediator cannot tell you, you know, give you independent legal advice. They may educate you, but they can't give you independent advice because it would be adverse to the other parties. So it's really important that you, even if you are going through mediation, you get someone like Laura to make sure that you get your answers um, when you need them, if you have any question, and especially to review your your private and your public settlement agreement. So what are some, um, what other advice do you have, you know, that you find yourself telling your clients Quite often. I often tell my clients, as I said earlier, treat this like a business transaction. And also remember, this is someone to whom you were once married or once were uh, in love with. And maybe you spent time in the delivery room. Maybe you walked down the aisle. Find whatever it is about that person that you used to love and try to tap back into it when you're going through this process. Have compassion for them, for what they're going through, which is scary, I'm sure, as well. And remember, I mean, I find so often we are kinder to people that we don't know than to people that we do know. This is going to be a difficult road to go down, but if you can go down that road with some composure and some compassion, you are going to be much better off. It cannot hurt. Yes. You know, people going through a divorce are scared. I mean, they're scared because, like, as you said before, there's going to be a change. But they're also scared because, you know, a lot of people are worried about money. Even, you know, high-profile people, if they have a, a lifestyle that's very, you know, luxurious, they still want to have that lifestyle. So what about full disclosure? That's uh, something that people don't always understand, even if they're in mediation or in collaboration. I tell my clients, inundate. Inundate them with information. Give them everything. Serve it up. Make it neat. Make it clear so that it's all out there completely transparent and we can get to the negotiating phase. If they think you're hiding something, you should not hide anything. As you know, a judgment can be set aside if something isn't included. So it's very, very important to put everything out there and get to the point where they don't feel like anything is being hidden from them and they can make reasonable, informed decisions. Exactly. And I I love in your last chapter, you have the quote from The War of the Roses. And I remember for so many years after that movie, I would do the Danny DeVito little statement, you know, but but you, you have this quote, there's no winning in this. It's all a degree of losing. And that's when you talk about court being the last resort. And we have just about a minute. Will you want to kind of expound on why court should be the last resort? Um, I think basically court should be the last resort because, as I said before, 
no judicial officer who has had four minutes with your file before you get called to the stand or to the counsel table is going to be able to make as good of a decision for your life or your children or your finances as you can. Yes. And I want to read this quote from the back of your book, which I really love your book. It's, it's great, Laura. And this quote says, In the high-stakes world of Hollywood divorces, attorney Laura Wasser is discreet, diplomatic, and fiercely protective. And that came from Vogue. But I think that that's exactly what we want. When you're doing the kind of um, divorce that you're talking about in your book, it is diplomatic, it is discreet, it is fair, and you are protecting yourself and your children. So I want to thank you so much for joining us, Laura. It's so fun to get to talk to you, and I hope we get to meet soon. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, and just give your website, and it's time to go. Can you... Oh, I don't know what the website is. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll give your website. Okay. (laughs) It's uh, wccfamilylaw.com, and then they can search Laura Wasser, and your wonderful book is It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, how to divorce without destroying your family or bankrupting yourself. And you're terrific, Laura. Thank you for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and check up on the people that we're interviewing. Thanks so much. It's about trust Yeah, yeah It's about faith It's about trust The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.